So I divided our thoughts this morning into three sections, the context in verses 1 through 3. Uh, our passage begins with the reason for Daniel's prayer. Now, I hope you know that Daniel was a man of prayer. And we know he was a man of prayer because he had a daily habit of praying, which has resulted in one of the most famous stories for which we read about him. That is being thrown into the lion's den. Remember, he was thrown into the lion's den because he wouldn't stop praying to God. Daniel's reading the prophet Jeremiah, and he reads about a promise God had made regarding the exile of the Jews from their land. On a side note, this passage shows us how the writings that would become the Old Testament were obviously circulating in Daniel's day and available for him to read. So here is what caught Daniel's attention and sent him to his knees. Jeremiah says in chapter 25, verses 11 through 13, This whole land shall become a ruin and waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against the nations. And then he read in chapter 29 of Jeremiah these words. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem. The craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Just a side note, when you're reading names, just act like you know how they're supposed to be pronounced. <laughs> the letter said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, 
and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So as Daniel is reading these scrolls, Daniel sees a promise that God makes, and he prays asking God to fulfill his promise. God sent the people into exile because of their sin, which we'll see more about in the content of Daniel's prayer. But God has also promised that their exile would be temporary. They would be in exile for 70 years. God tells them, settle in the towns to which you've been taken. Build houses, plant gardens, have children and grandchildren, for you're going to be there the better part of two generations. Seek the welfare of the place you dwell. Participate in community events. Join the loyal order of water buffaloes. All right, it doesn't really say that. That's a Flintstone reference. Again, you're old enough. No promise keepers and the Flintstones. God's saying, settle in. Don't believe the false prophets who apparently were predicting immediate victory and return, for God says you're not returning for 70 years. Now, Daniel knows the word of God, and it sends him to his knees. Daniel's done the math. He was among the first of the exiles taken to Babylon. He was one of the promising young men among the first wave of exiles who was who were to be specially trained for service in the king's administration. The exile happened in several waves, uh, with Jerusalem finally destroyed about 18 years after Daniel was first taken away. So depending on how you count, depending on how you do the math, it may have been very close to the 70th year of captivity now. It's possible that Daniel's asking God, God, would you count 70 from the day I came? Okay, because if you count 70 from the day I came, there's not much more time left. Okay? Daniel is probably in his 80s now. So Daniel, the man of prayer and the man who knows God's word, comes to God to plead with him, keep your promise made through your prophet Jeremiah. I have a slide from Spurgeon that I think will go up here now. Wonderful quote from Spurgeon. And when you're preaching, it's never a bad thing to quote Spurgeon, I don't think. Oh, that you studied your Bibles more. Oh, that we all did. How we could plead the promises. How often we should prevail with God when we could hold him to his word and say... Fulfill this word unto thy servant, whereon thou hast made me hope. Oh, it is grand praying when our mouth is full of God's word. For there is no word that can prevail with him like his own. When we read the scriptures, we're not just reading the scriptures for information. The scriptures ought to be the thing that drives our prayers. Uh, a good quote from the Enduring Word Bible Commentary that I appreciated. Daniel knew God's promises invite our prayers and participation. They do not exclude our prayers and participation. 
God's plan for the ages is declared. Yet Jeremiah made a prophecy, Daniel made a prayer, and eventually Cyrus made a proclamation. I'm going to read the first part of that again. Daniel knew that God's promises invite our prayers and participation. They don't exclude them. Now look, when we pray, when we deal with infinite God, there is always going to be mystery. We will never fully understand the mystery of how God's sovereign rule over all things and our responsibility to participate and pray to bring about this sovereign plan all fits together. We're never going to figure that out. But Daniel believed it appropriate to pray what God had declared would happen, to pray for God, to be true to his word, and to fulfill his promise. The final thing that I'd like us to see in the context of Daniel's prayer from these first few verses is the humility with which Daniel approaches God. He did not come with some sort of brazen, name it and claim it mentality, which put God at his beck and call, making God his servant. No, he fasts. He covers himself in sackcloth and ashes. He sets his face towards the Lord. He comes to God with humble determination, mourning his sin and the nation's sin that we'll see shortly. His preparation is the preparation of one who pleads for mercy and who throws himself on the character of God, who keeps his covenant and shows steadfast love and faithfulness towards his people, even in the midst of disciplining them for their sin. Daniel sets a wonderful example for us to follow. We can and should come to God with his own words in our mouths, asking him to keep his promises to us, to fulfill his loving plan for us. Yet we do so in deep humility, recognizing that anything God does for us in answer to our prayers is a result of his mercy and not our deserving. The second point I'd like to bring to us this morning is the content of Daniel's prayer from verses 4 through 19. And I'd like to sort of take Daniel's prayer apart uh, in three sections. Daniel describes his prayer as pleas for mercy and making confession. His prayer begins with adoration as he declares that God is great and awesome. And his confession is rooted in comparing himself and the nation of Israel to God and his holiness. I think I'd be better at prayers of confession if I compared myself to God and not to other people. When I compare myself to other people, I too often feel like I don't have much to confess. But I should be comparing myself to God. And if I compare myself to God, I realize how much I have to confess in contrast to his holiness and righteousness. So how does Daniel describe, first of all, the nation of Israel with whom he identifies in prayer? So you can look down through the prayer as I'm going through these things. I'm basically recounting what's there. Daniel identifies with his people, with the nation, by continually using the words we and us 
throughout his prayer. He's constantly saying, we've done this, and to us belongs this. Daniel says, we've sinned, we've acted wickedly, we've rebelled, we've turned away from your commandments and not listened to your prophets. The prophets, they were sent to the kings and the princes. The prophets were sent to our fathers. The prophets were sent to all the people. And we refused to listen to them. We refused to heed their exhortations and warnings. So several times in his prayer, Daniel says, to us belongs open shame. He is in essence saying, shame on us to all those who had been exiled to the many different lands. He's basically saying, shame on us to those who remained in the land. He says, we've committed treachery against God. He repeats the themes of open shame and rebellion several times. We've been disobedient and for this and for this God has brought on us the curses promised when Moses led the people in covenant promises after the deliverance from Egypt. Daniel doesn't not just know Jeremiah. Daniel knows the writings of Moses. The language of Daniel's prayer is the language of Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 27 and 28. I encourage you to go back and read those on your own. In Leviticus 26, God promises Israel blessing if they'll only obey his laws and statutes that he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. He also promises to punish them if they disobey and break their covenant with him. And he promises, yes, to scatter them among the nations if they walk contrary to his laws and, here's the word again, commit treachery. In Deuteronomy 27 and 28, the people of God are finally ready to enter the promised land after their wilderness wanderings. When they cross the Jordan, six tribes go up on a mountain named Mount Gerizim and recite the blessings of the covenant if they obey God's words. And six tribes go up on another mountain, Mount Ebal, and recite the curses that would come on them for disobedience. And part of the curses that the people recited for disobedience was that God would scatter them among the nations. So Daniel confesses that as a nation, we've done all the things that you said you would bring curses upon us. And yet, even with those curses, we haven't experienced, that we've experienced by God's discipline, we still haven't repented or entreated God for his favor We've remained disobedient, and God, you were justified in bringing your promised punishments upon us. We're reminded again that Daniel knows the word of God, but one thing that is abundantly clear in his prayers, he also has a deep knowledge of the God of the word. Listen to what he says about God in his prayer. Daniel begins by addressing God as great and Awesome. That word awesome actually meant something when Daniel said it. It doesn't mean much when we said it because we've overused it horribly. But it meant something when Daniel said, God, you are full of awe. Daniel knows God as the covenant keeper. In fact, God, Daniel uses the covenant name of God, Yahweh, seven times in this prayer. Now, I hope you know that 
when he says Yahweh, that's the L-O-R-D in capitals, right? That's the name of God, Yahweh. Seven times Daniel calls on Yahweh, covenant God in his prayer, when that word is used nowhere else in the book of Daniel. Yahweh has been faithful to his covenant with Israel, even when they've been unfaithful. And their exile is an expression of God's faithfulness to his promises to bring upon them the curses for their sin. Daniel knows God as a God of steadfast love. Oh, I hope you know this word. It's the word hesed. And this is the covenant love of God, the steadfast love of God that's never gonna change for us. A very important theme throughout the Old Testament. A very important theme through the ministry of Christ in the New Testament. God promises his hesed, his faithful love to those who will love him and keep his commandments. David, or Daniel repeatedly tells us that to God belongs righteousness, mercy, forgiveness. These attributes are a part of his very character. And it's what Daniel pleads for God to display. God is the lawgiver, the prophet sender. And he sent the law and he sent the prophets out of his love for them. So they would know how to please him the God who brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Daniel emphasizes the glory of God through repeated references to God's name. He tells God that it's through your great works on Israel's behalf that you've made a name for yourself. When they did go in and conquer the land, you'll remember that the Canaanites were so afraid because they had heard of this Yahweh and what he had done for the nation of Israel that so often the battles were over before they started because the enemy was in such fear of the God of Israel. And it's this emphasis that carries over into Daniel's pleas as he ends his prayer. God, make a name for yourself. Do these things that I'm asking you to do for your glory and your name's sake. So what is it that Daniel actually asked God to do? God, Daniel pleads with God that his wrath would turn away from Jerusalem. Like many of the Psalms, David cries out for God to listen, incline your ear towards your people, hear our cries for mercy. He asked God to open his eyes, see the desolation of Jerusalem, Lord and act on behalf of your covenant people. Hear us, forgive us, pay attention to our cry, act for your own sake, for the sake of your great name. Do this for your glory, that your name would again be feared among the nations. Daniel said his plea was for great mercy. He said, we ask these things not because we're righteous, but because you're righteous in all your ways. The part of Daniel's plea that I found most interesting in studying is that he asks Yahweh, make your face shine on us again. At the end of every day in the land of Israel, it was the job of the priests to recite over the people the ironic blessing. At the end of every day in Israel, the priests were to read. They were to read 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord make his countenance lift up upon you and give you peace. Moses added that these words from God, so shall the priest put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Daniel pleads for God to remember his covenant promises. Make your face shine on us again. In the temple, there was a lampstand. The lampstand was constructed in such a way to throw light forward. And when it threw light forward, it threw light on the table of showbread, which had 12 loaves of bread representing every one of the tribes of Israel. In the temple, there was a perpetual picture of the light of God and the face of God shining on the nation. And Daniel says, shine on us again. In verses 20 to 23, we see at the end of our uh, text here this morning, the amazing answer that Daniel received to his prayer. The answer to Daniel's prayer is immediate and incredible. Daniel said, before I was even done praying, the angel Gabriel was sent to me with God's answer. Gabriel was sent to him with a vision. Daniel says this happened while he was still doing the speaking and conf confessing and pleading to God. And Gabriel comes to Daniel with insight. Gabriel tells Daniel that at the very beginning of his plea for mercy, God was merciful and acted immediately in answer to his prayer. Now I have to pause for a moment and say, at this point, that Gabriel comes to Daniel with a vision of 70 weeks. So if you read the bulletin and saw that we were preaching on Daniel 9 this morning, maybe you were hoping that I was going to explain the real meaning of the 70 weeks of Daniel and how that prophecy is fulfilled. Oh, would you look at that? Our time is basically up. <laughs> I don't have time to go into that. Okay? Seriously, I, I would not even try to attempt that this morning. But what I want you to see is before Gabriel goes into his vision, he has one more thing to say to Daniel. He says, your cry has been heard because you are greatly loved. Have you ever prayed and doing your prayer felt a deep sense inside that God really had heard you this time and that an answer was already being sent your way? This is what Daniel's experiencing. God sends an angel to assure him he's been heard and that God's going to answer his prayer, that he's going to show mercy, that he's going to bring the people back to the land. But our passage ends with that remarkable statement. At the beginning of your plea for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, you are greatly loved. 
think it's important to remember that prayer is our way of communicating with a heavenly father who deeply loves us. It's not just that the goal of our prayers is to tell God about all of our needs and put up all of our requests before him, to check off the ones that he's answered, to keep praying about the ones that we haven't seemed to get an answer to yet. It's not wrong to have that be a part of our prayers. But prayer for me needs to be more communion with a God who deeply loves me. Okay. Daniel was blessed not just by the answer to his prayer, but by God's reminder of how deeply he was loved by God. As we conclude our thoughts today and transition toward our time of communion together, I'd like to just take a step back if we could. We focused this morning on this one part of one chapter of the Old Testament, of one prayer, but I'd like to ask the question, how does Daniel 9 and Daniel's prayer of confession fit into the storyline of the whole Bible? Now, the Bible, you know, does not hesitate to show us the flaws and sins of even its most godly main characters. We know the weaknesses and sins of Abraham, who twice lied about who his wife was and tried to fulfill God's promise to him through his servant Hagar and not Sarah. Our brother Jim shared with us a couple of weeks ago the story of Jacob and how that man was so deceitful using the serpent's tools to try to fulfill God's promises instead of God's ways. We know that God changed Jacob so much that he thought he needed to change his name. We know the shortcomings of David who committed adultery and murder and whose family can probably be kindly described as dysfunctional. And yet, he is called a man after God's own heart. We see Elijah winning a great victory over the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and a short time later, hiding in a ravine, depressed and suicidal. Now, I would appreciate, honestly, if you were to correct me on this next point, but I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God says anything negative about Daniel. It seems as if Daniel is righteous and blameless, almost sinless. So here in Daniel 9, what we're seeing is a righteous man who so identifies with his people that he takes upon himself their sins confesses them to God, pleads for mercy and forgiveness for them, and intercedes before God on their behalf. And in answer to his intercessory prayer, he's assured of God's deep love for him. Sound familiar? In this story of the Bible, Daniel is a wonderful picture of Jesus the truly righteous, sinless, and blameless one, the beloved Son of God who so identified with you and me 
that he took our sins on himself. He paid the penalty for them on the cross. He suffered the wrath of God. He suffered all the curses of God in our place, even though he was the dearly beloved son of God. In doing this, he interceded for us before God and because of his great work on our behalf, you and I can be forgiven of our sins and receive God's great mercy. Hebrews even tells us he's still interceding for us before God's throne right now. And his blood is still pleading for us so that in him we can be the dearly loved children of God. As Pastor John loves to say to us, within your fellowship, this is good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would make your word more of the basis of my prayers. I pray that you'd help me to be like Daniel, better at confessing to you by comparing myself to you and not to others. I thank you for your desire to keep your promises to us, to show us mercy, to show us forgiveness. And Lord, we thank you that we have received those things because of Jesus and his great work on our behalf. Would you continue to forgive us? Would you continue to help us to serve you in humble love? And would you make our prayers times of real communion with you, our loving Heavenly Father. We thank you for the example of Daniel. Might we be like him uh, in our prayers. And we pray this again for your glory, that your great name would be shown even to others around us through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.